Welcome to our seventh episode of the University of Oregon College of Education Look No Feather podcast. I am Ixchel Verdugo, one of the academic advisors in the College of Education. And I'm Emma Bjorngard Bussain. I'm also one of the academic advisors in the College of Education. In this episode, we talk about resources that are available to you through the Global Education Office, or GEO. GEO helps students explore different study abroad programs, whether it be domestic or international. We interviewed Elisa Shervenka, one of the Global Engagement Program coordinators. And with that awesome introduction, let's jump straight into the interview. Can you please state your name and what you do at the U of O? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Alyssa Trevenka, and I'm a geo program coordinator. So uh, I advise and coordinate for several of our study abroad programs here at the UO, um, predominantly in Europe and the UK uh, is my region. Um, and it's, you know, it's a really exciting job. I get to work with students who are pursuing their international dreams, um, help them through the application process and the preparation that goes into it. And it's always really rewarding to see the transformation when they come back to campus um, when they're done. And then it's also really great because I get to communicate with our staff who are abroad. Um, so really enjoy that. Awesome. Okay. So in your opinion, why is it important for students to study abroad? Yeah, um, I think it's critical for students to study abroad if they can. You know, I know it, it does take time and resources and all that, but um, it really helps them just build their skills and their knowledge that will prepare them to solve the world's toughest challenges. Um, you know, not only does it further their academic bit and or help them earn credit, but they're just opening themselves to these new experiences and, and different ways of doing things. Um, their communication skills, problem solving abilities, and, and critical thinking skills just improve immensely tenfold um, when they're abroad uh, as they're navigating, you know, different public transportation systems or communicating with others whose first language may not be English. Um, so, you know, it definitely takes some patience and, and all that. It also teaches them to work with others from diverse backgrounds, which is, you know, highly valued by employers today. So um, the experience really teaches them to appreciate other cultures. Uh, for example, back in the day, I studied abroad in Spain for a semester, and I had a wonderful relationship with my my host family and especially my host mom. Um, we would have all these deep conversations about just values. And I remember her saying, you know, in the U.S., um, you all live to work, uh, but here we we work to live. And, you know, she's just commenting on that go, go, go mentality, which a lot of cultures perceive the U.S. to have, um, and for Spain's way more laid back. So it was just fascinating to to experience that. Totally, and it's like pushes you to step outside of your comfort zone and absolutely does challenge yourself. So yeah. So I guess like kind of in that vein, mm-hmm. um, like what types of support can you um, or does Geo give to students who are wanting to embark on an opportunity like this? Yes, um, we offer, you know, quite a few options. Um, I guess I'll start with advising. We, we offer, you know, weekly advising uh, Wednesdays and Thursdays this winter term. Students can um, just walk into our office, uh, third floor, Oregon Hall, uh, and they can talk to a peer advisor who is a study abroad alum. So a student who, uh, who did study abroad, no appointment needed. Um, and then all of us coordinators also have weekly drop-in hours. And um, we have so many 30-minute available appointments each week too, which students can book with us via Navigate, um, or they can, you know, call our front office. Um, Students should definitely check out the website. It 
lists all of us uh, with our, you know, Zoom links and Navigate links. And it also shows our, you know, regional breakdown. So, right, mine's, you know, UK, Europe, Scandinavia. Um, and so students can choose to do that with us in person, or we also offer advising um, remotely with uh, Zoom or over the phone. Um, we also do some tabling every week in the EMU. So, you know, you can find an advisor there too, if you're walking through grabbing your lunch. Um, and then we also do events too with like info sessions for specific programs. Like um, I'm working with my faculty to do one for cinema studies in Dublin, which is coming up this summer. Um, and we'll have scholarship workshops and, you know, alumni panels. And so we try to post those on our website or our social media or send out emails. So lots of, lots of opportunities and students should really just check out the website if they can. Um, there's just lots of helpful testimonies, videos, kind of explaining the differences between programs and all that, um, a student guide and so much more. So for students who are undocumented or documented, um, in what ways can they engage in a study abroad experience and what resources or programs are available to them? Yeah, thanks for asking this question. It's a, it's a really good question. Um, so there, there are definitely a few ways that undocumented um, or documented students can engage with our, with our office and study abroad. Um, we do offer a study away option. We try to offer, you know, a couple of those every so often. Um, so we are offering, for example, um, archaeology and culture in Willamette Valley, I believe is what it's called. Um, so it's a domestic program um, and it takes place in Hillsboro, Oregon, and students will practice, you know, hands-on learning with organic farming and they study, um, you know, agriculture and immigration and human rights. Um, so we're offering that program. And then we also offer a few online options, which we, you know, started doing as a result of the pandemic. So they've been called the hashtag no passport needed programs. So we're still offering indigenous rights and environmental justice in Bolivia um, remotely. So that's led by Professor Derek Hendry over in Global Studies. Um, and with that program, I believe students also have the option to do an online, you know, service learning or internship um, experience with a Bolivian, you know, legal human rights or environmental organization. So um, there are those options. And then we also have a variety of other virtual kind of on your own time options called geo elements, such as the virtual homestay and um, language partner. So students can opt to, you know, have a virtual host family or tutor or just language partner for a couple of weeks. Um, in a few languages. So that that's, and that's via Zoom, Skype, WhatsApp, you know, whatever works for them. Um, and then I also should probably note that as of December, 2020, DACA students can apply uh, to travel abroad as advanced parole is reinstated. Um, but that being said, it's, it's a process um, with, you know, some inherent risks. So if a student is interested, they should definitely talk to us um, and also be prepared to speak with an immigration attorney. Um, but, you know, we have tons of resources to direct them to, as well as the uh, DACA uh, Dreamer coordinator on campus. Um, we're all here to assist. Now I was just going to ask, can students speak to any advisor in your office or should they uh, speak with someone in particular? Um, they can speak with most of us, uh, to be honest with you. Um, our advisor who has worked most extensively on it was uh, Luis Ruiz, one of our assistant directors. Um, and so he's worked with DACA, documented students before. Um, but yes, I mean, the student can get in touch with any of us. Um, but like I said, they'll definitely also need to, to speak with legal, a legal advisor. I was actually going to ask a similar thing, but then also like are all of these like, programs and opportunities all listed on your website as well? 
Um, yes, pretty much everything listed on our website is right active and running. Um, if it's like taking a year off or something like not running summer 2022, we'll have that noted. Um, but, but right. Otherwise if a program is, you know, no longer running or inactive, we, we will remove it. Perfect. That's awesome. It's so cool that you can have a host family, you know, in another country, because then you can build those connections, uh, yeah. you know, even when you're here. So that's, cause that was definitely something like for me, like I was studying abroad here at right. one point in the U.S. and had a, you know, a host family. And that was such a big part of the study abroad experience to have mm-hmm. that connection. So to be able to get that, you know, even if you're here, but with someone in a different country or family, like that's a really good um, opportunity. Right. You know, have a dinner Sunday night over Zoom with your host mom in Italy or something like that. Right. <laughs> Put pasta together. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> I actually said they didn't get to do study abroad, but like, have you had students like give any feedback about like the ones that they do virtually? Like, have they enjoyed them? Have they felt like still like it was an enriching opportunity for them? Yeah, um, so we're very lucky. You know, we have all our, our staff um, internationally at our centers. We have our London Center, our um, Siena Center in Italy and Scovia, Spain. Um, so our staff have been really just crucial. Um, they will, you know, go through a museum and give a tour and record, you know, and those kinds of things. Um, and then, yes, we've had several students who provided reviews from doing, right, like a no passport needed program. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's been overall pretty positive and students, I think, are just happy to get some sort of that international experience still, even though it is remote. Um, but yeah, for example, we transitioned the human rights uh, and peace studies in the Balkans program to a fully remote option in 2020. And that was super successful. And again, brought in a bunch of just guest, guest lectures from Croatia. Um, and so, of course, it's not a full replacement, but um, students are still making those connections and experiencing something, right. something similar. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I love that. <laughs> So, like, obviously, like, when students start on this journey, like, they work in tandem with their, like, major advisors and then also do advisors. Like, in your opinion, why is that relationship important? It's a great question. Um, My favorite question. Yeah, it's very important for students to be working with, you know, both our office and then their academic major advisor. Um, Here in GEO, we're not able to do a ton of academic advising as we don't know what every major, you know, what the requirements are for graduation. It's hard for us Mm -hmm. to keep track of all that. So um, it's really important that a student should first meet with their academic advisor and really figure out how much flexibility they have and which courses they need to take when they're abroad. Um, And then they can, you know, come meet with us and, you know, we can help them identify a program that will fit those, you know, academic needs as well as, you know, other needs in terms of housing, excursions, all of that kind of thing. Um, So yes, if a student can come to us and say, I need, you know, these credits towards my major, or I have these gen eds, or I need upper division elective credits, that's super helpful to us because we can say, here are the programs that offer those kinds of courses. Um, and we can also show you how that credit, you know, typically counts at the UO. So um, basically we're able to show you the programs, the courses, and then, you know, what they've counted for. If a student wants to take a class at, on a program that's never been taken, then we can also help them get those credits evaluated. And again, that uh, major advisor is going to be super helpful because um, we'll help you get the syllabus and all of that. But then, you know, we have to work with the academic departments to get those evaluated. Gotcha. Thank you. No problem. And I'm always happy to, you know, be included like CC on emails if the student wants to have both their academic advisor and the geo advisor, just because everyone's, you know, in the loop and on the same page. So we're, we're happy to do that. 
it's nice for the student to have multiple points of support, uh, you know, for different conversations and things like that. Yeah, for sure. I've, you know, I've had advisors call me or just email me directly sometimes with questions or like, which form does the student need? And yeah, I'm always happy to, to respond and because then the student right, gets information from multiple places and advisors can better answer questions too. So um, so for some study abroad programs, there is an initial intake meeting. What are these meetings and what do they typically look like? And then it's kind of like a follow-up, uh, just are there any specific criteria? Um, yeah, so it's, it's really helpful if a student has taken some time and reviewed the, you know, wealth of information we have online before they talk to us if possible. Um, just there's a student guide on there that kind of covers everything from, you know, health and safety to um, just the different kinds of programs and housing options and all of that and scholarships. So if students have taken some time and done some exploring on their own, that tends to be really helpful um, in using time. Um, but yeah, it's helpful if a student can, again, tell us what kind of courses they're looking to take abroad. If they're looking for any sort of, you know, added experience, like an internship or service learning or research experience on top of the study abroad experience, um, as well as just, you know, are they looking to have their classes with other North Americans um, and kind of having that structure and support there? Or are they wanting that more immersive experience where they want to be the foreign exchange student, you know, going to class at the local university with local students? Because um, we offer, you know, both options, all the options. Um, in terms of criteria, no, I mean, we're just, we're looking for students who are excited to go abroad. Um, certain programs will have different eligibility requirements. And so those are all listed on our on our website, on the program pages near the top. So any, you know, class standing or GPA or prerequisites are listed. Um, but honestly, we prefer students to come in earlier rather than later, just so they can plan. Um, we typically, I mean, typically advise a student to, to start planning about a year in advance if they can. We, you know, understand that doesn't always work out, but just so they're not feeling rushed and have time um, to figure out right courses and visa if needed and all that. It's, it's usually easier if you come in about a year in advance. That makes sense just from, I remember my personal experience, like it took me a year to like, you know, plan everything, go to the embassy, you know, like with the visa and stuff. But that's scholarships. Time. Yeah, scholarships. Yeah. I just, I was just curious, uh, like, do you have kind of a mix of students in terms of like knowing where they want to go? Like some students are like, I just know I want to go abroad. I don't know where. Like, will you help them kind of just talk through, like, you know, how to kind of narrow in on a certain, like, part of the world? Um, and then versus, like, students, you know, like, I want to go here. Exactly. You know, do you feel like you get the range there? Oh, yes. Yeah, we definitely get the range because, like, sometimes we're right. Get the student who just woke up one day and said, I'm going to study abroad, right? And they come into our office with <laughs> no background knowledge, which is fine. You know, and then, right, we'll kind of talk through those things of, right, like, so what kind of experience, like, how long do you want to go, right? Just a few weeks during the summer or, you know, we have, we still have students who apply to do a full year abroad, which is really exciting. Um, the student wants to be away for nine full months, right? Um, so it's in those cases, I think it's most helpful when they come talk to one of our peer advisors who's a student, because the students are really good. And, and they'll share their story, right, of, you know, here's where I live. This is what it looked like. Here was my daily commute to school. And, you know, things students have never even thought about. It kind of helps them think through that of, oh, I would like that, or maybe I wouldn't like that. Um, which can kind of help narrow down the process. But then we get the student, right, who comes in and they want to go to Norway because that's where their heritage, you know, and they want to go reconnect with, you know, family and the cuisine and all that. And that's, that's cool too. So um, yeah, we definitely get the gamut. <laughs> so do students have the chance to, to do internships while they're abroad? 
Yeah. Um, and honestly, they're becoming more and more popular. Um, I think that's kind of one of the fastest growing um, program types. So um, our main uh, internships, they're called the Global Works International Internships. I'm not sure if you've heard of them. They kind of have, they're connected on our GEO website, but they're, they've just grown so much. They also have their kind of almost own website at this point. Um, and so they're eight-week internships. It's a full-time internship. Uh, so 30 to 40 hours a week. So students really aren't doing the traditional study abroad class component, um, but it's 12 credits. Uh, eight of those are internship credits and then four cross-cultural communication credits, which they're taking with other students who are also doing an international internship, you know, everywhere around the world. And so, um, so yeah, and then on the website there, they're kind of, the portfolio is broken down by subject area. So we do have a full, you know, education and, and teaching English, like subsection, um, the students can look at. And so we um, have sent students on education placements to, um, for sure, Argentina, Costa Rica, um, we have placements in Japan, China. So, you know, there's definitely some options. Um, and most of those internship duties are going to be um, classroom time, right, being in the, the classroom with students, but then also, um, you know, lesson planning, one-on-one -on -one tutoring, some administrative of support and that sort of thing. So the application process for that's also a little different though uh, compared to the traditional study abroad application because it takes a little bit longer since we're finding you a job placement um, and we'll need a resume and cover letter. But yeah, we can help them with that. And like, what's the probability of them being able to get that internship just based on how many students apply and the whole process? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we're pretty much guaranteeing you a placement um, in the application. We'll kind of ask you for um, your top three preferences in terms of sector. So, I mean, if it's, you know, any sort of education, educational, we know that. But then we'll also ask you for your three top countries. Um, and then, you know, we've, we really don't have an issue um, finding that. I think it's more just if we get something super specific, um, like if it's I want to teach specifically, I don't know, computer technology, you know, that's where it gets hard. And we definitely can't promise we'll find you. That. But if you're applying for an internship, we accept you. Um, we're essentially guaranteeing you some sort of placement. It's like such a great resume builder too, and would really make you stand out that you did something like that uh, yep. abroad. So absolutely. <laughs> and I know you you touched on this question a little bit before, but so say a student. Um, you know, finds a study abroad opportunity that's not currently being offered through the U of O, um, can they request to have it added or like what's that process look like? Yeah, good question. Um, so it depends, is <laughs> um, kind of the answer. Um, so we do work with, you know, because we don't have a program in every location, right? It's impossible for us to have staff um, everywhere. But uh, for those places right where we, we really don't have a center or faculty, um, we do work with some providers or essentially organizations that you know, provide study abroad experiences for students from the U.S. So the main ones we work with are SIT and CIEE. We might see them on the website. And so um, if, you know, you find a program with one of those providers that's not listed on our website, um, and it could be just because, you know, we haven't had someone do it before or if it's competing with one of our other programs, right? But if it's, you know, one of their programs and you want to do it, you can submit a petition to get that approved. Um, it's just it's super simple. You essentially just kind of send us an email explaining why you want to do that program and, you know, why our other programs don't meet those criteria. And so we'll get that reviewed. And um, more often than not, they get approved, assuming the student has, you know, valid reasons for wanting to do that. If it's uh, external to any of those providers we work with, um, 
typically don't approve those. Um, but I, I would say if the you know, College of Education identified a specific program that really met the needs and you know, requirements for, for your majors, then, and you wanted to propose that, you know, we'd definitely be open to considering that and you know, building a new collaboration. It's just making sure that you, know, you guys are supportive of that as well. And we would have students who are interested. It's great to know that there's a path to to go down and try, you know, and, and pose. So that that's that's awesome. Is there? Um, I mean, I guess this kind of depends, I guess. But like, is there a, a pretty like high probability that a program will be able to be added, or like, is it just kind of more collaborating? You be you collaborating between the the departments and stuff that would determine if that's a feasible possibility or that's a good question I know it's been a while since we've had a department bring one it's, it's happened in the past right where we'll have you know computer science or you know physics or something and there might be a program that they're really strongly proposing and that they're really supportive of and um, think it would help the students and so typically right then they'll they'll bring it to us and pre-COVID times I know you know we had a committee with faculty too who would review programs regularly I'm honestly not sure what that process looks like right now um, but yes if that is something that would be of interest um, you know again we have lots of programs and lots of applications it's, it wouldn't be like an immediate process either by any means there have to be reviews and risk management and all that of course but um, but yes I mean right we're open again if there was a program that again really really met the needs um, that the department was supportive of. And yeah, I'd be happy to provide, you know, more details later. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so you did say um, that there's a lot of resources on your webpage. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously you have probably quite a few scholarships available to students. Like, would you be able to highlight some of them um, yeah. and just kind of give a general idea of what the application process looks like for those scholarships? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, I think we do offer quite a few um, specific the geo internal kind of scholarships we have the planning scholarships those include the map your future i think first gen mm-hmm. students with disabilities and then the uh, the passport grant um so the map your future scholarship is for you know first year students can apply for it as a first year student only and if they get it it's a thousand dollars and students retain that for their entire college career so they don't have to know which program or when they're going to study abroad it's just that one thousand dollars is theirs whenever they decide to use it for a program and then the passport grant is for students who haven't previously applied for a u.s passport so um, that's also an option uh, and then we also have our geo general scholarships um, and so that includes our ambassador and then just kind of a range um, of both need-based and merit-based scholarships. It's one application, two short statements, basically. And so, and that's kind of, there's, you know, different deadlines for each session. So we do offer, you know, regular scholarships students can apply for. Those typically range from anywhere of a 500 to, you know, 1500 or $2,000 award. So we do try to do that. We also list quite a few external scholarships on our page, um, definitely want to highlight the Benjamin Gilman scholarship for Pell Grant recipients. Um, Students who receive the Pell Grant are eligible to apply. Um, That is up to $5,000 scholarships and the UO has a pretty high award rate. Um, And so, and we can work with students on their essay. So that's a, that's a really great scholarship uh, as well as the Boren if students are studying um, a foreign language in a region critical to the U.S. Um, But then on our scholarship page, students scroll to the bottom, there's a filter where students can filter by, you know, identity, term, you know, major, that kind of thing. Um, scholarships based on regions, right? I know we have one specifically for Italy, one specifically for London. So um, it's just kind of a matter of taking the time to <laughs> filter through, see if you're eligible, tweak your essay, resubmit. 
Going off of the scholarship piece, even if it's different, but students, can they use financial aid to work study abroad? Yes, Um, as long as it's an approved study abroad program, um, you know, and they're going through us, then yes, um, your financial aid does apply. So scholarships, loans, grants, um, there's just a couple really specific ones. Um, Like if there is a very specific departmental or I don't know, you know, like an athletics or something, that's something the student needs to check with the provider to make sure it's okay. But for the most part, you know, 95% of the time, um, the financial aid does apply. And so students can talk to the Office of Financial Aid here on the second floor of Oregon Hall just to, you know, make sure their specific financial aid will apply. Just, you know, how is it going to affect my package? Um, And financial aid can have that discussion with them. Um, We have our program budgets posted on every website and uh, financial aid does look at those budgets. And so they'll see the estimated costs as well, which students pay out of pocket, like, flight and meals and cell phone, right? And mm-hmm. so financial aid can, you know, work with you um, to potentially increase your package, usually loans, right? But um, it's an option, so. Okay, and then, um, so this question is like, I can identify with because <laughs> when I studied abroad, there was a, a moment there in the beginning where I felt very homesick. So, you know, and that happens, like students feel homesick. Um, so what would you, like, what would your advice be for dealing with that while you're abroad? In case someone's listening, he's abroad right now, they're a little homesick. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'd love to hear what, what your technique is as well. Um, but honestly, I think my biggest piece of advice is just to go out and experience the country you're living in right now. Um, I think, you know, it can be tempting to just hop back on Instagram or, you know, whatever social media platform and seeing what your friends are doing back here on campus and football games or or that, Um, or you want to call your mom and FaceTime your cat, right? And um, typically students don't find that helpful and they generally feel worse after, you know, getting off the phone with mom. So um, I understand the impulse, but I think it's much better to just grab a friend um, and go see something, go do something, like go get a bite to eat or, you know, go take a tour of that cathedral you walk by every day on your way to class. Um, You know, just talk to someone who's in the same place as you and remember that your time is very limited, right, in that country. And so you definitely want to make the most of it. I think, yeah, my go-to was to, you know, meet up with my friends in the city center and just, we would just walk around and go get some churros and chocolate. And that (laughs) that typically cured (laughs) the homesickness. So, yeah. Well, I love that. Totally. It was funny because like my, I was talking to, yeah, mom wasn't super helpful. Um, Grandma, (laughs) my grandma was like, you have to give it, you know, at least a month and, you know, you just have to like push through and it's going to get better. And it it did get better. But then Mm -hmm. she also said like, maybe there's a way for you to like, you know, connect with like a local family because I wasn't going uh, through a program where I had a host family, but on my campus, they had like uh, an organization they were tabling at like a fair that we had and mm-hmm. there were uh, families in, in the community who like yeah. wanted to be host families basically so I was like sign me up and, yeah uh, <laughs> that was helpful that, it was super helpful yeah because yeah, like yeah. it was just going to their house once a week and having dinner with them and then over time that grew to like I would go there more often and they introduced me to their friends so I like had you know a a community there which that was super helpful and definitely got me out of the homesickness part yeah Yeah, it's hard but then like you said I think especially in the beginning and then once you kind of get into your groove but remembering there will be good days and bad days but generally mostly good days so exactly I mean I stayed so I've been here now for 10 years so (laughs) it worked (laughs) <laughs> um, 
anything else like that you want to highlight about the office or study abroad in general? Um, no, I mean, I think just come talk to us, come meet with a peer advisor, stop by the table at the EMU, um, check out, you know, any of the events you see um, and the emails that we send you. Um, but yeah, just feel free to shoot us an email. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. But um, we're just really excited that studying abroad has opened up again um, and that we're sending so many students. That was such an interesting interview. I feel like I learned a lot. One thing that stood out to me was how uh, there is this collaboration between, say, academic advisors within your major and then the global education advisors as well. And just speaking from our own experience here, and I know yours is very similar to mine, um, it's very, very nice to have the connection as an academic advisor with the global education office and their team, because there are questions, you know, that it's better that they answer, that they explain to give students a good overview of the programs. And then they Mm -hmm. will, you know, uh, send them back to us and we look for uh, appropriate classes the students can take while they're there. And also just to make sure that they decide to kind of plan their experience at a time that makes sense, like with their major coursework. And that might be different, you know, between majors. So that was something right. that stood out. And I think also too, because each group of advisors has very, like at times like specific knowledge about certain pieces, that's why it's always good to check in with as many advisors as you can in as many offices as you can too just because in general like us as advisors we have a more general idea of like kind of the the resources that are out there on campus but when you can hear it directly from someone who is in that space day in and day out I think it's a lot easier and it, in a way it like obviously confirms what we say and maybe adds even more information. So then that way students can feel a lot more prepared too. And they feel like they have um, the full information to kind of embark in these types of experiences. Cause I mean, I would imagine I didn't study abroad, but I feel like it would be <laughs> um, kind of nerve wracking to make sure that all of the pieces are matching with like financial aid and then your courses and then like the trip planning and stuff like that. So having more, multiple people engaged in that effort makes it a lot better and probably a little bit more, I guess, calming or not as nerve wracking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that just made me think of something now from when, you know, I was planning on coming here from Sweden to study abroad in the US. I remember the organization that I went through and, and their advisors, like they kind of helped me just prepare for what it would be like, you know, like make sure to remind me kind of like things I should pack and just like what the the kind of cultural differences might be on a broader scale, obviously different from like talking about something from being there, but just knowing that I was having those conversations ahead of time, it was just like exciting, you know, to prepare. So it really helped with that kind of just like social acclimation piece too, but then also like the logistics, obviously around like the trip itself and making sure I had my visa and then had the coursework, you know, prepared, which also I worked with advisors 
advisors at the school I was going to. So yeah, it was, it felt good as a student to have that team, you know, around you. So what you were saying just made me think about that. Yeah. And then I think also because every student has a very different experience or situation um, while they're going through school, there's obviously going to be people who will be able to, you know, chime in and really um, help support in that way. And that also just made me think about when she was talking about students who are either undocumented or documented, like there are still opportunities for them to to get involved. And even if, you know, students who are documented, they do have the opportunities to to go abroad. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of kind of legal pieces that go into the mix and things that have to be worked out and also letting the student know about like maybe like potential risks and things like that so that they that way they're fully prepared. So that's why it's also important to tie in and bring in as many advisors as possible and even just outside resources to make sure that that is as safe as it can be. But then for, for you know, who student, students who decide to stay like within the state, it's nice that there's also programs either virtual or actually like in person that they can go and do kind of what what she was saying, the study away program. So it was kind of nice that those opportunities exist and that there is an effort too from the geo office to actually integrate as many um, student experiences as possible and making sure that there are still chances for them to be able to learn and grow in a very different setting. Even if it is within the state, I think that there's so much that they can learn and very like valuable pieces that they can take away from, from those experiences. Yeah. And I think no matter your own personal experience and situation, I think it's important for all students to remember that, you know, your, you know, circumstances and your situation is unique. So, cause often, you know, maybe students will be like, well, my friend told me this, right. So I'm just going to do the same thing, or it's going to be the same process for me. I think it's important to actually go and see the office. And as she was saying, like, maybe that involves some um, conversation with like, some legal representative, it's important Mm -hmm. that you do those things because even if you might think your situation and your um, circumstances are the same as your friends, like they might not be. Um, So it's just important to take advantage of all those different resources and the steps that they uh, encourage you to take. Right, exactly. You know, so also one thing that we wanted to just mention at the end was that, and this was talked about in the interview too, you know, like when you go abroad um, or if you're here having an experience within the country, you know, your experience is going to be different from other people's experience in a positive or in a negative way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I remember from when I moved here to the, or, you know, came and I was studying abroad from the, from Sweden to the U.S. was that I just have it etched into my memory, sitting <laughs> on the plane, like before takeoff, you know, I was just like sitting in my chair and I just had this like very vivid thought, like my life is going to change, you know, in, in a, in a way that felt like it's going to be a big difference and, you know, it turned out it was the, the best experience for me ever. And maybe, you know, it could have been that it was okay and not the best experience, but I still had a good time. You know, I learned a lot. So no matter what your experience is, and hopefully if we'll, it will be like the best experience ever, um, your life will change from you taking this like step and challenging yourself and um, stepping outside of your comfort zone. So just kind of wanted to leave you with that thought if you're thinking about um, going abroad. Hi, 
everyone, this is Mary Marchetti joining you with a brief self-care tip. I'm one of the College of Education academic advisors and a fourth year counseling psychology PhD student and training therapist. Um, as always, I want to start with a brief disclaimer that the brevity and scope of this segment is not intended to stand in for mental health care or medical advice or even to suggest that self-care alone is sufficient for promoting mental health. Rather, the hope is to encourage you to prioritize your well-being and take steps to take care for yourself in the ways that you can. Be sure to check out the episode notes for more resources. So today's tip is a little more academic or productivity focus than usual, but I think it's a skill that's widely applicable and definitely related to mental health. Today we're discussing goal setting. So a lot of times goal setting does relate to our academics and career, but it could also relate to things like our sleep schedules, our self-care routine, our social lives, and much more. And effective goal setting around academics is a skill that can help to decrease unpleasant emotions like guilt or anxiety. Um, it might increase enjoyment of our time away from work and improve our self-confidence, self-efficacy, and sense of accomplishment. A good starting place when setting goals is to revisit your values and orient yourself to what's most important to you personally. That'll lay the foundation for goal setting. So from there, um, research supports a number of strategies and approaches that can be easily remembered with the acronym SMART. Um, so I'm going to go through each of those uh, the five points within that acronym. So S stands for specific. A goal that is specific has a much, much better chance of being accomplished than one that is general. So for example, instead of saying that you want to earn better grades, you might decide that you want to earn all Bs or better. M stands for measurable. So this step means quantifying your goal so that your progress can be tracked and it'll be clear when you've met the goal. Making things concrete like that increases our focus and our motivation while we work towards a goal. A stands for attainable. So your goal should be ambitious and it may stretch your abilities, but it should also be realistic and achievable. Think about your resources, your abilities, your other commitments, and even your willingness to commit to your objective. Picking something attainable can help you to see overlooked opportunities or resources that can also help bring you closer to your goal. R stands for relevant. So does your goal truly feel worthwhile and meaningful to you? This is a place to be really honest with yourself um, because you're the only person who can really answer that question um, and it can really make all the difference in your goal achievement. T stands for timely. So in order to plan your steps and stay on track, it's really important for your goal to be grounded in a particular time frame. There's a huge psychological difference, for example, between working toward accomplishing something eventually and accomplishing something by June 1st, 2022. So that's it. S-M-A-R-T. Each step, I think, feels somewhat common sense. Um, it might also take some intentionality, though, to put this kind of framework into practice, but it's a worthwhile way to set yourself up for success in various domains in your life and hopefully find a little more peace of mind in the process. So that's it for today's self-care tip. Thanks for listening and take good care.